of Ephesians. And we're in the second half of that great book, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, or possibly could have been other churches as well. We know it was to the one in Ephesus, but there were probably other churches surrounding that may have received this as a circular as well. And recently, we've been looking at, in this second part, how that God's new humanity, that's what he's been building. That was focusing on the new humanity in the first three chapters that God is bringing to pass and bringing a new people, no longer a Jew or Gentile, but together into one new humanity. And yet, that new humanity is given now in the second half of the book new standards, new ways by which they can glorify the God who has saved them and brought them into his forever family and how they can testify to his grace and to his glory and follow him in a walk of obedience and holiness. We talked about that last time. Paul got very specific with us about the dangers and particularly the sexual immorality that flooded the world in his day and they do in ours. If you missed that a few weeks ago, you could go back and catch that first half of this uh, on live stream or on YouTube. Uh, But today we're now going on to the second part. We looked at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5 last week. Today we're going to look at verses 8 through 14 in our scripture reading in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Hear now the word of the Lord. For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes light, becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, once again, we know it is only in your light that we see light. It is only when you grant understanding that we can understand your sacred word. We thank you that it is truth, but Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to be sent again so that we might understand and receive the engrafted word with meekness and it might yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in us, that we might walk faithfully with you and, Father, be a testimony to the light that you have brought into our lives. And, Lord, help us be light bearers, reflective light bearers as well. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Shine. Shine. 
is the name of a 1994 debut single of the American alternative rock group known as Collective Soul. Some of you know that. Some of you don't. You need to go to Wikipedia or whatever. Check it out later on. Now, this group, although it had, the lead singer had a religious background, his father was a minister of the gospel, they were not a Christian band. They didn't go around advertising themselves, and some of them may not even been Christians. But, but there were certainly influences there. Their most famous line in that song, Shine, was, Whoa, heaven, let your light shine down. Heaven, let your light shine. Now, you just keep that in mind. Just kind of park that back there in the back of your mind. You might see something connected to it a little bit later on. Now, last week, Paul gave a warning about being involved, as I said, in sexual conduct, immoral sexual appetites and conduct. But now, he's still making the same case that we are children of light. That was the, the verse, the uh, title last week, Children of Light. But you notice it says up on the screen, part two. This is also continuing, what does it mean to live as children of the light? To walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what we're going to be seeing here. Instead of last week, it was a very strong warning. Here, Paul is giving a positive reason for believers to avoid such patterns. He's not just saying, don't do that. He says, let me tell you why that doesn't make sense for you anymore. Because you're now different than what you were. Now he's given a positive reason for believers to avoid such sinful patterns. And he uses the rich symbolism throughout this whole section of light and darkness. Paul employs, again, his once and now phraseology. He starts out, as we're going to see in verse 8, that we just, we're going to read that we just read, he starts out with that once you were, and then he goes to now you are. Huge change, contrast. And he's trying to highlight the difference of a transfer to a different domain, a different dominion, a different kingdom, if you will. He's saying you once were over here in this kingdom of darkness, but now... You are over here in the kingdom of light with the Lord of light. Now, the main focus here is that Christians are to be God's light in the midst of a world of darkness. Does anybody need to be convinced that the world is full of darkness? Isn't it amazing how many people will tell you, oh, I believe humanity is basically good. No, you don't. You see it all around you, all the evil, all of the wrong, all of the things that are darkness and bring sorrow and misery into this world. God is calling us, though, to be his 
children and to walk in the light as he is in the light. And this will involve, as I said, walking as children of light. And here's the really important part that I think a lot of people miss in this passage. Bringing the light of Christ to those who so desperately need it. The point is not to say, okay, we're over, we're over here and here's the darkness. Let's get away from that and have nothing to do with that anymore in one sense. Now we're over here, we're light, we just say, what? no. We're supposed to be reaching back and reaching out to that darkness, to those in darkness. Just as we were led out into the light by God, we should be also not only children of light, but bringing the light of Christ to those who desperately need it. Now, the outcome's real. I mean, the outline's very simple today. We were enlightened. We now are to be enlightening. You hear the difference? We were enlightened by something God did. We are to be enlightening as his servants, as his representatives, as bearers of the light. So let's look at that. Now, the, the passage really breaks up, doesn't break up nice and equal. So the first part is very short. The last part is much, much fuller, but you only have two points. All right, the Ephesians were being called to be enlightening. Now, because of the, what's happened and by grace, they have become in the light. They have the light of Christ in them. They are joined in union with him by grace through faith, and they who were called now are to be, they, let me, excuse me, the Ephesians were being called to be an enlightening element precisely because they had first been enlightened. Because they were enlightened out of darkness, now they're called to be enlightening. Verse 8, again, let read it. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now notice that Paul is pointing to a change in them to the Ephesians, and by connection to you and me today. He's pointing to a change in them, not merely a change in surroundings. It's not like, okay, you once were over here, now you're over here, and it's a better place over here, and you can put up some walls and protect. No, no, not like that. Before, they were not only in darkness, darkness was in them. And yet God supernaturally brought them into the light through conversion. Now they are not only in the light, they are light. They're not just in the light. They don't just appreciate light. They are light. And therefore, they must shine out as lights to their unenlightened friends and neighbors. You understand? That's what this is saying. It's not just that, oh, great, got you out of darkness. That's wonderful. Now I'm here. I'm with all my buddies and friends in the light. Let's just have a holy huddle and stay together in our stained glass ghetto and everything will be great. No. We're supposed to be reaching back, bringing others, trying to give an example, to show them what it means to walk in the light and call them into the light and pray that God will bring them into the light as he did with us. You see, throughout Ephesians, Paul gives a string of those before and after 
Once were, now are. Once, sometimes it's before and after that he uses, but all that kind of reality imagery. The imagery that contrasts between light and darkness goes all the way back to the creation. You know that, right? In the first three chapters in Genesis, or first chapter of Genesis, what do you get? There was darkness. And then what? God said, let there be light. That contrast. And throughout the whole flow of redemptive history, if we had time to break this down, we would see these, the appearance of, of ways in which God was working and bringing about his promises and his purposes, and darkness was being cast out and dispersed by his light. It was in smaller things to begin with, but as through the years it grew, and ultimately through the prophets in Isaiah, there was foretold a day that would come in which they would arise and shine and the light would come upon them and it would disperse darkness and one day at the end of God's plan there will be no darkness there will be the light of Christ only you see the remarkable use of darkness and light reflects the image of Jesus in the gospel you do you know how many times you see something about Jesus talking about the light let me just give you a few examples In John, for example, Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that had been long ago prophesied. He said, the true light, this is Jesus speaking in 1 John 1, 9, or or John, excuse me, John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to everyone. That's how Jesus referred to himself. Jesus was the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, he's saying, Darkness, you haven't got a chance, a snowball's chance in July. You, 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 you haven't, can't win. You will not overcome. Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world. In John 1, 5. And, uh, and then he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. So all of these metaphors of light and darkness, yes, we're in a relationship with him now. He's the light, and we're in him. We're not, we're not just near him, looking and gazing upon his light. We are in him. We become, though, he's the true light that lightens everyone, Think of that as the sun. The sun is the true light. What is the moon? It's a pale reflector of the light of the sun. But it is a luminary. It is a light. We become luminous reflectors of divine light. Him in the big way, us In the little way, little lights. Remember this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. That's what Paul's basically saying here. He's saying we need to be doing that. Now, that's the first part. We were enlightened. And because of that, everything has changed for us. But we got a job to do. We got streets to walk. We got places to go and people to see and 
circumstances to find ourselves in as light bearers. Secondly, we are to be enlightening. That's in verse 8b, second part of the verse 8 through 14. Now, let me just read that again. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, we learned that we were once darkness. That's already been said by Paul. But now, in the Lord, we are light, and we are to live as children of the light. Now, we need to remember, Paul has all throughout this and other epistles, he's got this put off, put on thing. Sometimes it's reversed, starts with the on and then off, or sometimes it's off and then on. But it's basically taking something away, putting something aside, and then putting something on. And he's doing it again here. He starts out in the, in the positive. We are in the light. That's what you need to put on. That's who you really are. That's your true identity in Christ. And then, you notice, though, he reached that part in the text where he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but indeed expose them. Now, he's telling you, put that off. Don't go that way. Don't do. Don't follow. Don't mimic. Don't ape what they're doing. The lost in darkness. You're there to be light to them. Now, particularly that passage there. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So the real question is, how do we expose the deeds of darkness? Hmm? Well, let me tell you how many Christians think it should be done. Many Christians think that they already know the answer to that question. We expose the deeds of darkness by pointing out all the failings of others. <laughs> I see a few heads uh, going this way. You see, they think somehow that our job, we think Paul is telling us, is to go denouncing the godless Hollywood types. And a whole host of other people that aren't doing things the way they should be doing. And I'm not saying those things are good or shouldn't be checked in some various way. But that's not the point Paul is making here. You see, in doing that, if we think we're just going to go find and out and point out the problems and the darkness that in, in others, all we are is basically candidates for Jesus is, uh, why don't you bother with the, you know, speck? Get the uh, uh, log out of your own eye before you worry about the speck. If we're not careful, that's where that ends up. 
But you see, in doing this, we flatter ourselves if we think that we're exposing the deeds of darkness by standing in front of our TV and pounding on the couch about dark things that you see. That's not exposing the deeds of darkness. Or saying words, yelling out in anger, that's not dispo- Or sending a nasty email or text or put a new blog post up and decry Not saying there's not a place to engage in the culture and battle. I'm saying that's not what this is talking about. That's not this. You see, the second verse, here's, why, here's how we know. It's, it said earlier, it said, take no part in the works of darkness, but indeed expose them. And then verse 12 says, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. How could, if those are things that they do in secret and yet we're told don't speak about those things, then how can we be going to them and speaking to them about those things? It doesn't make any sense. The context is not for you and I to go out and try to basically batter them into submission. Paul says, don't even, we don't even mention that. So how in the world are you going to go speak? So, so what is it then? What is this thing that is being here? How do we expose darkness? Instead, we're to expose deeds of darkness, not so much by denouncing them as by letting the light of God shine in and through us, in their presence, in our relationships in our work connections, in our homes, in our schools. We are supposed to be exposing them by contrast to who we are in Christ. And our life being so different, it makes a sharp contrast and therefore shows relief and exposure to the difference You see, the verb translated as expose can mean, in Greek, expose, what we normally think of that word, but it can also mean examine. It can also mean convict. It can also mean correct. And it can also mean convince. I think that last one is the closest to what Paul's driving at here. You, ex- you convince them to think about coming out or not continuing their darkness because you are light and they see such a difference in you and in me. That's what Paul says should be happening with the children of light. You see, I believe this is an evangelistic exposing, not a condemnation. They're already condemned if they're not yet in Christ. We don't need to add to that. It's an evangelistic exposing them to something that they have never, ever been around before. How many of you had something like that happen in your conversion? That's what happened to me. I got plopped right in the middle of something God was doing 
And I saw people that didn't look like all of my friends and all the people I was hanging around. I thought there's something about them is different. There is light. There is joy. There is love. There is sacrifice. How in the world? What? Who are these people? I was exposed in the light of others. As God brought me into the light, he used his servants. You see, this passage is describing the process by which darkness is transformed into light. The function of the light is twofold. One, it exposes the sins of unbelievers, just like I talked about a minute ago, which I was at a certain point in time. And it transforms so that they may enter the realm of light. Listen to Colossians 1.13. He, Paul, St. Paul, talking about the sister book, he, meaning Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. God has done that. He's a transfer agent, getting people out of the domain of darkness and into the domain of light and the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, yes, don't get me wrong. There are times when we must criticize the darkness in our world. We need to sometimes call things what they are. Things that are evil, we have to acknowledge that they're evil. But we always should work with grace and our speech seasoned with salt when we engage in those things. But our primary purpose here as children of the light is to let our light shine by our words and by our deeds. That they see such a difference in us like I saw with those Christians in The other door, that was the name of the coffee shop, that's where what I saw there was so totally different than anything I'd ever seen before and been around. You see, it was so, so very different. And yes, there are times to speak up against evil. But as children of the light, we need to let our lights shine through words and deeds. Compare and contrast. That's really what it's saying. Compare your life with theirs. And there should be a markable difference. There should be a markable difference. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that you may see, so that they, the others in darkness, may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's how he's glorified. More worshipers coming over into the light to worship him. And we have a role in that, Jesus says. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, you're the light of the world. You guys, 
my people, my followers, believers in me. Now, listen to this verse 14 one more time. Because this, this kind of is a little bit squirrely. It's hard to grasp. I've read this text so many times. And man, I, I spent a lot of time struggling with this. There are a lot of possibilities of how this could be understood. But listen to verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, what do we do with that? There's a great deal, as I said, debate about the source of what's being said here. Many commentators um, think this may have been a fragment or a part of a hymn that that, uh, Paul was uh, quoting from, but I don't. I I take uh, the other understanding and I think there's a lot more evidence for it and that it's more likely that Paul has a biblical citation in mind but not a direct quote okay you follow me he's got a biblical citation a scripture verse in mind or verses and maybe he's pulled a couple of two together and kind of connected them linked them But I think that's where this is coming from as to where its origin. How did it get there? What does he mean? It's it's an expression. It's being used. And I believe Paul is using a biblical citation. Therefore, it says, that's Paul writing here in the text. Now, where is something in the Bible that's really close to what Paul has just said? Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, listen to Isaiah 60, verse 1. Remember I told you that this light and darkness contrast was flowing all the way through redemptive history, and Isaiah was one of the prophets pointing to the future triumph of the light? Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, Arise. Shine, for your light has come. Your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's Jesus' work, to arise and shine upon sinners and transfer them into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. You see, not only is the light seen here to be exposing, it is by contrast, but the light is now seen as transforming. It's transformative. When we love like we should love one another and others that are not always lovely, when we forgive, when we have been horribly hurt, When we give to others to respond to their need. When we show kindness and patience with one another. These are the things that are blazing, dazzling 
reflections of light. Anybody ever, back in the 70s, let's say about 78, did anybody ever go to places I used to go to, dancing with my wife? Well, the really cool ones had this crystal glass ball. Yeah, disco, yeah. (laughs) But what was so amazing about that was not just the music and dancing. It was all the myriad reflections of that glass shining in colors. And we were drawn to it like a moth to the flame. It was so beautiful. It was so magical. That's what Jesus says we are supposed to be. His little light reflectors. But you know what? When you put us all together in a big ball, you got something. Something that can begin to change your community, your country, your world, our world. If God blesses it. Now, listen though to something very important that I haven't said. I said it's transforming. Why? Through a call to rise from the dead. Did you hear that? Rise from the dead. Now, some people think this passage is about talking about kind of lazy Christians that have kind of, you know, gotten real apathetic and whatever, and they need to, hey, wake up. <laughs> See, it worked. Got you up. <laughs> uh, I don't get to do that very often, but see, it just, it, was, it worked here. Um, so, you know, it's not, hey, wake up. Come on, Christians, get, get on the stick. Get, get up and do what you should be doing. No. No, it's saying, go tell dead people to get up and rise. Have you tried that lately? Jesus did it. More than once. He's still doing it, but not physical resurrections, at least not that we know of, but he does it by bringing the spiritual dead to life. And you see people, some of us that think we've got really good, keen theology, and we've got some smart theologians in this bunch, but you know what? We also know, because we do know our Bible and we read it, we know that dead men can't will themselves to life, can they? Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> they do nothing. They, they remain horizontal. They don't get up and walk out of graves by themselves. How can this be? We know that the spiritual dead can't raise themselves. 
So in one sense, if that's true, then why in the world do we go out and need to tell someone, believe in Christ, believe the gospel, repent of your sins, and believe and be saved? We're on a fool's errand. Do you understand that? If something else isn't going on, we're on a fool's errand. Because men can't be brought up and women can't be brought up from spiritual death. By my voice, yours, or anybody else's. Not even George Whitfield's. But an old tinker back in the 17th century named John Bunyan taught us something very important. If you ever read Pilgrim's Progress. One of the things in there, Mr. Interpreter takes Christian to the to a particular scene and he sees this inside this gate he sees this mother chick a mother hen with her chicks a bunch of chicks and they're just all scurrying around scurrying around and the mother's going ruck, 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 ruck. she's just plucking away but the kids the, ch- the chicks are just not listening at all not paying any attention and then all of a sudden the mother hen changes her cluck makes it something different. And immediately, all those chicks pop to attention and scurry under the mother and under her protection. And they were clucking all the time. She was clucking. But there were two different clucks. There were two different calls. And that's what happens spiritually. We can't make the dead rise We can call and we are supposed, and we're the ones that are supposed to be there showing the contrast and declaring by word and deed the gospel truth. But it's only God, the Holy Spirit, that can bring that invincible call, that irresistible grace that brings us out of darkness into the light. We have a role to play, but unless Jesus brings the light and raises them from the dead. And yet that's exactly what I believe this passage is talking about. As I said, it's an evangelistic exposure. The two calls of the the gospel. And you know where you hear it beautifully? From the mouth of our Savior. In John 5, 25, listen. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, an hour is coming. And he would go on to repeat something very similar to this. And he would say, one day there's an hour still to come in the future. But this, the first one, he says there, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. It's already happening all over the place because I'm here. He says, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The next verse talks about a future resurrection, physical. This is not physical, this is spiritual. It is now, I'm here. I'm not just raising Lazarus from the physical dead, I'm raising all kind of people to spiritual 
knife. I'm transferring from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of my father's love. You see, my friends, Jesus is the true light. And he has come to bring light and life to everyone who will believe in him. That will repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation. Once again, you know I'm not going to miss a TSO opportunity. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, for those of you that need a translator. Listen to how one of my favorite songs, A Star to Follow, at the very end, it says, crescendoing, ring the bells, ring the bells, let the churches ring the bells. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let his light shine on everyone. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let his light shine on everyone. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what Jesus calls his children to do as they walk with him and step with him. Or to borrow another phrase from collective soul again. Woe, heaven, let your light shine down. Amen? Let's pray. Father, do let your light shine down. Jesus, come and make us light bearers that walk with you in the light as you are in the light. We want to shine like the stars in heaven. Lord, you are our light and our salvation. Help us be in the light and walk with you in it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.